So we've got another topic today. Uh, today we're going to talk about, it might be the most significant topic in our uh, series of conversations on untangling. Today we're going to talk about untangling our thoughts. And I'm going to let Justin kick us off this morning. We're going to do that by reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, we're going to hunker down on verse 8, but I want you to hear all of this because this is the context for it. So as uh, Justin reads for us, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. And Justin's going to read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into your practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Thank you, Justin. Untangled. So let's review week one of this series. We looked at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two of that says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And we realize this means we're going somewhere. This year with our lives, there's purpose. God has things for us to do. We're going somewhere and we're not going to get there if we're leading tangled lives. Then last week we looked at Psalm 90, which by the way is a beautiful worship song. And we noticed how specifically, even in the context of a worship song, it speaks about untangling our schedules. For instance, verse 12 says, teach us to count our days, Lord. Teach us to, to know the limits that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And we acknowledge that we're not going to live untangled lives unless we untangle our schedules. We talked about three habits at the end. You may remember taking a Sabbath, being prepared to embrace difficulty because it's coming, and planning our schedules according to our priorities. And that's when we did that awesome science experiment over here. By the way, the word tangled has two basic meanings. Number one, twisted together and untidy Synonym would be matted or snarled. Her hair is so tangled. Second, complicated and confused or chaotic. Synonyms would be jumbled or messy. That sentence is uh, tangled. I don't, I don't know about you, but my life can look like all of that if I allow it to. And when it does, my life gets tangled up. I feel the lack of peace and the lack of purpose. I feel at odds, sometimes with my wife, Diane, often with God, sometimes with myself. So today we're going to look at a third critically important area of our lives that must be tangle-free, and it's one that we don't think about often. In fact, this is arguably the most important area for us to get untangled. We're going to talk today about untangling our thoughts. Now, the passage that Justin read for us comes from Philippians 4, as we said, and this is one of those passages that occurs regularly in the writings of the Apostle Paul. If you're familiar with the letters of the New Testament, Paul will drop some theology on us, and then he'll often 
tease that out and what it looks like in our behavior. Sometimes he'll get practical around that and then more theology or sometimes he'll deposit all of the theology and he'll get practical in the very end. But almost always toward the conclusion of his letter, he will drop in, this is what's most important and, and this is his, if you miss everything else, don't miss this part of his letter. And he'll give us a few little pearls of this is what you really need to focus on in living your life. And this section was that for the Philippians letter. And he gives it in the form of five commands or, or five encouragements to us, right? So you heard him as Justin was reading. It's rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle toward all. Don't worry, but pray instead. Discipline your thought life and do what you've been taught. Now, obviously, that fourth encouragement is the one that we're going to focus on today, but I want to give you a quick overview of the others just to kind of lay out the context. So I'll do this quickly. By the way, you know it's interesting that in Paul's mind, there's something that ties all of this together. You heard it if you were listening to when Justin read, it's peace. It came at the end of the first paragraph and at the end of the second paragraph. In fact, a peace that we can't even explain. He mentions it as the payoff to both sides of this. This piece is one of the side effects of living an untangled life. So let's do a quick survey of the context, but I want you to get the feel of the overall flow. So Paul begins by saying, rejoice in the Lord. Joy should be one of the hallmarks of the Christian life. So much so it comes to us here as a command, be joyful. And our joy is not determined by circumstances. It's made abundantly clear in the very next section of this letter. The most important part of how that joy becomes a reality for us, we talked about last week, by making God our dwelling place, literally by baking into our our schedule a regular connection with God. Remember Psalm 90? It started like this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. That's why Paul says here, our rejoicing is in the Lord. The second encouragement, be gentle toward all or exhibit gentle forbearance toward all others. Now, joy is the characteristic of our internal life. Gentleness should be the mark of our interactions with others. And this gentleness toward all, by the way, that includes those who make your life difficult. As a side note, this gentleness is, more than anything else, this was the characteristic that won the ancient world to Christ. It wasn't public policy or charismatic leadership or great preaching that brought the ancient world to its knees. It was great compassion and great kindness, and gentle fortitude in the face of impossible circumstances. That's how they won the world. The third encouragement is, don't worry, but pray instead. In fact, Paul makes it clear that prayer is part of the cure to anxiety. Now, he's not talking about mindfulness or meditation here. Those are good activities that can help with anxiety, but the cure has to include what he calls prayer, supplication, requests made to God with thanksgiving. And then the fifth encouragement is directed to the general area of Christian living. He invites the Philippians and us to imitate him, to do what they've been taught. This really amounts to an early version of just do it. You've seen it, now do it. And this kind of living overall will result in the God of peace being with us. All right, that's the context. Now, into the middle of that epic context of, you know, these encouragements, don't miss this. He offers the encouragement to discipline our thought life. 
Evidently, one of the keys to living out our faith is disciplining our thought life, or to use our language, uh, one of the keys to untangling our lives, perhaps the most important key, is to discipline our thought life. We cannot live an untangled life unless we untangle our thought life. Look, occasionally, those of us who don't know anything about computers will get into a mess with our computer. And the computer weirdly will screw up our document or our pictures or our presentation out of the blue. And we will come to one of you who know about computers and we will ask you to help us out of the mess. Even though we know that behind our backs you are whining and laughing at us and you're saying things like operator error and (laughs) computer never does anything that you don't tell it to do, right? Well, you and I are the world's most sophisticated computer. And whatever we put in our minds, that's what our lives will produce. All of our actions have one thing in common. They begin as thoughts. That's why Paul tells us that it's critically important for us to discipline our thought life. If we want to live out our faith effectively, if we want to experience God's peace in our life, if we want to lead our language, not Paul's, an untangled life, then we have to untangle our thoughts. We have to discipline our thought life. Let me give you an illustration. Lance Weitzel is the head of our media team. And if you come up here before anybody gets in here on a Sunday morning or even through the week or after we're finished here on a Sunday morning, what you'll find is all over our stage there are wires that are very precisely, did I say very? Very precisely laid out and taped down with thick black electrical tape. So there's a wire going all the way over to that speaker over there and a power wire coming back, a wire going to this microphone and that microphone. There are wires leading back this direction, covering the whole stage. And then there are extra wires that we bring out on Sunday morning to plug these into boxes in the floor. And you'll notice there are some wires laying on top of the carpet as well, going to the guitar and also to the earpieces that the band uses. And after Sunday morning, Lance or one of the sound team will come up and take all of these wires that are out and wrap them up really carefully. And then there are little clips that they use to organize them and make them very neat. And then they take them in the back. And Lance has got plastic containers back there labeled with, you know, this kind of wire goes here and, and this goes here and this goes here. Little pegs on the wall with, with wires hung back there and it's all neat and laid out and very and it takes time every Sunday at the end of Sunday morning you know what I want to do is just throw wires and bring out a big container throw them in there let's go eat lunch because I'm hungry but Lance wraps them all up so that next Sunday we come in and all Lance has to do is go grab that wire off the peg take the little thing off of it and Unwrap it, plug it in. Without question, there is a cost to disciplining our thoughts. It's hard. It takes work. We're honestly not accustomed to disciplining our thoughts. But the cost on the back end, if we don't do it, is far greater. I have played with worship teams and bands, and I have been a part of them before, that did not organize their chords like this, and it's a nightmare trying to untangle those wires and set them up. In fact, the harder you pull, the worse it gets. The knot gets tighter and tighter. Think about anger for a minute. 
When we dwell on anger, we're leading a tangled, undisciplined thought world here. When we dwell on anger, when we rehearse the speech that we're going to give, when, when we prosecute the case against the person we're angry at over and over and over, it takes a tremendous amount of energy and it sucks a tremendous amount of time. It steals away from other relationships and it soils our relationship with God. Anxiety is just the same. When we dwell on what makes us anxious, it takes over our minds, it drains our activity level, it hurts our health. I know it takes a huge amount of energy to try to rein in these thoughts, but do the cost-benefit analysis. It takes more energy in the long run to give those thoughts free reign in our lives, in our minds. Jesus told us, some of you may know this, Jesus told us that all of God's design of us and his expectation for us could be summarized in loving God and loving others. He was asked, what's the greatest command? He said something shocking. He said, well, the first part wasn't shocking. He said, love Lord your God with all your heart. Second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he added this. All of the law and prophets can be summarized in those two things. So all of God's expectations for us and his design of us is summarized in love God and love others. And yet our capacity to love God is robbed by anger and anxiety. Our hearts become smaller and our capacity to love others is diminished by anger and anxiety. By the way, lust, greed, envy, no different. Looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at. Facebook stalking and getting jealous. Longing for whatever we don't have and allowing ourselves to believe that that's really going to make us happy. Let's be honest. There's a bit of fun on the front end, but the cost on the back end is dear. That's why disciplining our thoughts is absolutely critical toward enabling us to live untangled lives. Now, in this brief one-verse encouragement, Paul gave us what amounts to a discipline checklist, right? He identified qualities which should characterize our thoughts. First, he says our thoughts should be true. So some of our daydreams are not true. We rehearse situations that are not possible and never going to happen. So we should resist that kind of activity. This truthfulness should also preclude what some therapists call awfulizing. In the absence of information, we can tend to imagine the absolute most awful. Resist that tendency. Think about what's true. Next on the checklist, noble. It translates a rare word which has the broad meaning of worthy of respect or honor. This, the meaning of this is, is close to that old saying, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. Well, if you don't have anything good to think about a situation or about yourself or about your acquaintance, then don't think anything at all. Make it noble. Third, right. Right translates the Greek word dikaiosune, and I mention that because that's a very important New Testament word. It's normally translated just or righteous. Think about how often that occurs. It implies giving to God and people a justness that is worthy of them. Think about doing right by the people that you know. Think those thoughts. Pure translates a word meaning pure or holy, especially in relation to God. There are many things that we look at on our computers or that we imagine about people who are difficult for us that are violations of purity. Next is lovely. 
The word is found only here in the New Testament, and it has the fundamental meaning of a thing which calls forth love, a thing which is attractive. It covers a host of qualities, but basically means that we should think about things that are attractive and lovable, and we become attractive and lovable as we think about these things. Admirable. Also a word that occurs only here in the New Testament, and it means whatever's praiseworthy or attractive, especially those things that, are, that do not offend others. So imagine the person that you're thinking about in your thoughts. Are they offended by what you're thinking? Next is excellent. It means morally excellent. This word was seldom used by Paul, but he pulls it out here to remind us that we should be thinking things that would not embarrass our mothers. If the whole church this morning could see your thoughts on the screen, well, you would want them to be excellent. Finally, praiseworthy means worthy of praising God. In essence, our thoughts should be worthy of our relationship with God. Those last two words are kind of companion words. You know, excellent, I want my thoughts to be worthy of you and worthy of you if you even observe them. And I want my thoughts to be praiseworthy, meaning worthy of God. And he is observing them, so worthy of him looking in. Now, at various times in my life, I have actually used Paul's list as a literal checklist in monitoring my own thoughts because all of my actions begin as thoughts. It's critical for me to have a disciplined thought life because I cannot live an untangled life without untangling my thoughts. It's critical for me to have a disciplined thought life. By the way, Paul takes this notion to the extreme in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where he urges us, quote, listen to this, take every thought captive end quote. As I said, I've tried to do this at points in my life, and I can tell you it's a lot of work, but it's hugely beneficial. This kind of activity will dramatically deepen your relationship with God, and you will see his character more and more shining through your life in, in ways that you'll be amazed, and it will save you in the long run. All right, if you will indulge me, I want to end today by stepping away from the passage for a minute, and I want to offer us four helps toward doing what Paul has encouraged, four practical helps toward untangling our thoughts, four things, and I'm going to get you to repeat these after me to make sure we're all in. Number one, when it comes to your thoughts, trust but verify. Trust but verify. Say that with me on three. One, two, three. Trust but verify. We cannot fully trust our own thoughts. Not fully. Now, we know this. In fact, when we use the phrase, I think, what we mean is we're not certain. But at the most critical points, like when we're in the middle of a significant conflict, for instance, we're sure of our own thinking, and we need to be able to step back from that. I saw this, some of you may have seen this as well, just a few weeks ago, I think this was released, this fascinating survey. It was done by a think tank called More in Common and they surveyed thousands of people who were self-professed Democrats or Republicans. And they asked them to imagine the beliefs of members of the other political party. And with utter certainty, it was shocking how wrong they were. Let me give you a couple of examples. There are many. The survey asked Democrats how many Republicans believe that racism is still a problem in America today. So they asked Democrats how many Republicans thought racism is still a problem in America today. 
you'll get the stereotype here that they're working with. And the Democrats guessed that 40% of Republicans would admit that racism is still a problem today. In fact, 80% of Republicans said that racism is still a problem today. Republicans were asked, how many Democrats believe that police are bad? Republicans are asked, how many Democrats believe that police are bad? Most police are bad, agree or disagree. Republicans estimated 60% of Democrats would agree most police are bad. In fact, it was really 14% of Democrats said most police are bad. One of the study's findings that was most revealing, not surprising, the wider the person's guess was from the actual facts, the further they were away from understanding what the other party actually believed, the stronger was their demonization of people in the other party, and the stronger was their belief that the people in the other party were mean, selfish, or bad. At the most critical points, we believe our own thinking. One of the things that the recent explosion of research on the brain has revealed, and, and there are tons of, over the last 20 years, neuroscience has just exploded, the research on it. It's revealed just how good we are at kidding ourselves. Basically, this is what visual illusions rely on. I saw a TED Talk by a neuroscientist. The, the whole thing was essentially just, he was showing visual illusions or showing them on the screen. And then he made this point, and I'm going to use his language. The brain builds scenarios, and it trusts those scenarios completely. And then at the end of this, he, he dialed back to that. The brain builds scenarios, trusts those scenarios completely. He says, this also happens in relationships. We have to step back from that. We, we have to acknowledge that we can fully trust Jesus, but nothing else. Not even our own thoughts. By the way, super quick survey. The, the Bible says that our thinking can be, these are cross disciplines, cross different writers. Deuteronomy 28.20, confused. Job 17.3 and 4, closed. Leviticus 5.4, rash, etc. I won't read the whole list. The Bible acknowledges this everywhere. We have to trust but verify our own thinking. Our trust in our own thinking has to be limited. Number two, never stop learning. Say that with me on three. One, two, three. Yes, you say it like you mean it. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that when we're outside of a relationship with Christ, so he's talking about folks who are outside of a connection with God, a relationship with Christ, he says our understanding is, and this is his word, darkened. And our thinking is, his word, futile. It, it becomes eventually and inevitably futile. Being in this space will lead to futile, purposeless, aimless thinking. Then he says, quote, that is not the way of life that you learned when you were taught about Christ. And we don't ever get to the end of that learning process. We continue learning more and more about Christ. Listen, a baby breastfeeding is cute and sweet and beautiful, but a 27-year-old breastfeeding is illegal, and it should be. We've got to continue learning and growing up. We can't stay where we were. That means this year, read your Bible. Take a class here at Gateway or, or somewhere. Read a biography of someone you admire. 
Fill your mind with admirable, noble things. Stretch your thinking. Let's make this a year of learning. Try this sometime. Do a word search. You can, you can Google will probably do this, but if you get BibleGateway.com, if you do a Google search of the words advice and counsel in the book of Proverbs, I challenge you, do that Google search and read it. Spoiler alert, here's what you'll find out. The person who listens to others and learns grows in wisdom and lives more effectively. The person who refuses to do so, my language, not Proverbs, is an idiot. So never stop learning. Three, establish micro practices. Yep, let's say that together. One, two, three. Establish micro practices. Do the little things that can help you discipline your thought life. I'm, I'm not talking about time management here. I'm talking about untangling our thought life. Find micro practices that help your thinking remain untangled. Like I said, for me, over the years, one of the practices that has helped me is memorizing verses of Scripture. This one, for instance. Phil Salee is one of our elders, and he gave me this great suggestion a number of years ago that has helped my Bible memorization. So I take my cell phone, there's a voice memo app on your cell phone, and I will read the Bible verse or the passage that I'm trying to memorize into my voice memo section. And then if I take a walk or when I'm driving to and from the office during the week, I'll just pop that on and rehearse it two or three times, and it gives me true and, and right and noble and praiseworthy things to think about. This week, I want you to be looking. We have a man in our church named Ray Schmidt, and Ray has thought a lot about micro-practices that help him stay focused. So I asked Ray if he would just write a little blog for us. So we'll post that this week. We'll also connect you. He has a blog site that he's posted this on. We'll connect you to that this week. So be looking for, and just grab two or three examples of micro-practices that will Help your uh, thoughts stay untangled. Fourth, don't feed the bears. Let's say this on three. One, two, three. Don't feed the bears. A couple of summers ago, my sister and brother-in-law are very recently retired, and they volunteered. Not They didn't volunteer. They got paid. They went to Yellowstone for the summer and worked at a national park, and I didn't realize that this was a gig. I didn't know you could do this, but evidently, uh, the working population there, about 75% of them are college students, and about 25% of them are aging baby boomers who are retiring and want to do something adventurous. So they, they have you do maintenance, you, you know, you're the concession, etc. And all over Yellowstone are those signs that say, don't feed the bears. They're everywhere because if you feed bears, they will not leave you and other tourists alone. And eventually something bad will happen because we are not meant to socialize with bears. There are thoughts that do not socialize well with our well-being. Don't feed them. Take them captive and think about something else. Sometimes those thoughts are unruly, like anger or worry, and it's very hard work to take them captive, but it's worth it. Sometimes those thoughts are enticing, like lust or greed. It's actually enjoyable to feed them, but in the long run, they will bite us and steal our food. Don't feed them. Don't feed the bears. Okay, this is very hard work spiritually, but it is not complicated. This year, 
Let's work at untangling our thoughts. We, we cannot live untangled lives if we allow our thought life to be tangled. One of the things that, a micro-practice really, that has helped me in this regard, I have wanted for many years to discipline my prayer life because I'm not a great prayer. You're probably not supposed to say that out loud in church, in front of God and everybody, but I'm not. So I had Rhonda create a list for me. Rhonda Jessup is my administrative assistant, and Rhonda created for me a list of those of you who have connected with us, and we have your information. So people that have connected to Gateway. And she just made a list for me. And so what I try to do is pray through that list. And I try to take a little time each day and pray through a part of that list. Well, here's what's happened over the last few months as I've done this. And I'm looking at some people who I've connected with this way. Occasionally, when I'm doing that, this is a way for me, by the way, to untangle my thoughts. Literally, that, that was part of the exercise for me. It's all selfish. I don't care about you. This was about me. But I wanted to pray through your names and your families. And so I'm, I'm spending time praying, and once in a while, one of your names, I'll just get stuck. And sometimes, you know, the rest of the day, your name will keep popping up in my head, or sometimes even for more than a day. And when that happens, I try to send you an email, and some of you have gotten that email, where I've said, hey, I want you to know I'm not being thoughtful or pastoral. I'm not that thoughtful, certainly not that pastoral, but I'm just telling you the truth. I send you an email and I say, hey, God's had you on my mind and just want you to know I've been thinking about you and praying for you. Hope that means God's going to bless you, but if it's because, you know, you're going through something difficult, just know that, you know, you're not alone. God knows where you live. It's incredible how many of you have emailed me back. (gasps) this week or last week or I'm, I'm just about to X, Y, or Z. I am selfishly trying to work on untangling my own thoughts and doggone it, it ends up being a blessing to you and me. Let's do this this year. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Trust, but verify your thoughts. Let's be about learning this year. Set some goals. Make it specific. Establish some micro-practices and try them. If it doesn't work, stop it. Do another one. And don't feed the bears. The result of all of that, living that kind of life, we get into an experience where we have God's peace in a way that we don't even understand it. I'll tell you what else happens. We need to know something so that we can encourage Eric or so that we can build Rebecca up And we go back into the closet of our mind, and there it is, hanging up neatly. And we just bring it out and encourage them. When our thoughts are all tangled, it's not there. And it ends up blessing uh, you and me. And as I said, we get that peace. We are thankful that you chose to be here with us today, and we hope you are blessed. And we pray that you would continue to work on untangling that thought life with some of the suggestions that Ed suggested. And don't forget to check out the blog that's coming and will be posted later this week. Father, we come before you thankful for this time to commune together as a church family, to break bread together in the same way that you did with the disciples and to continue to remember all that you have done for us and to make an impact in the community around us. We pray that we would go in peace and only the peace that you gave us that surpasses understanding.
In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.